All right, welcome to the Golf Podcast Live, brought to you by ECS, Evolve Creative Solutions, Digital Marketing Needs. Guys, lots to talk about. I'm your host, Raphael Calamat, alongside Michael Bleakley. We're going to talk Neiman, wins the Genesis Open. Pretty remarkable. Tiger Woods is hosting tournament Phil Mickelson, Saudi Super Golf League, Greg Norman. How about Rory McIlroy and his comments? Peter Costas, Tiger Woods. Lots of heavy stuff. <laughs> We're going to try to keep it light. We're going to talk about funny and embarrassing golf stories as well as try to break that down into a top 10. But before we get started, we've got a special guest. His name is Josh Waldron. Uh, he runs Par 3 Near Me and, and a podcast as well. Josh, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me today. I'm looking forward to talking with both of you. Awesome. Yeah, thanks for coming in, Josh. Thanks, Josh. Uh, tell us a little bit about what you're doing. We like to give our audience uh, a little bit of information about who our guest is and how they got involved with golf and what they're doing now. So maybe a little breakdown of how you got started and where, where you're headed now. Sure. I mean, the first time I played golf, I was probably 12 years old. And my mom took me with two of her friends to a par three course. And I remember being on the course and being kind of embarrassed because it was just me and three women, but secretly really enjoying the experience. Didn't really touch a club much after that. Uh, went to college where some friends and I would play golf on occasion just for fun. I'm a competitive person, but it wasn't a sport that I had a lot of experience in. So fast forward, I graduate from college. I take a teaching job as a public school history teacher, high school history teacher, had a great run there, but I also knew that at some point I was on my way out. So I was trying to figure out when I leave teaching, what can I do or what can my family and I do that would be fun? And you know, I'll put this in quotes here, easy money. And so my genius idea was to build um, what we call here in the U.S. a mini golf course or a putt-putt course. So I started looking around at like land and building costs. And what I realized is that I might not actually have the money that I need to make this happen. But while I was searching for things that existed in our area, I came across this old property that was a putt-putt course and a par three golf course. It had just been neglected for maybe a decade. So what ended up happening is we signed a lease on that property in 2013, and I jumped to both feet into golf world. Crazy, where, where was this? This is in Virginia. Okay. And so my original plan, of course, was mini golf. You know, this will be easy money. You get things cleaned up, people come, they have fun. But as we started our first year on this property, um, I got more questions about the par three course than anything else. And so that's kind of what pushed me into the world of golf from zero to 100 all in a year. That's very cool. Interesting. Um, it's uh, Raf and I have known each other you know, since the early 90s from the DJ days. But uh, at one point we were roommates in a house beside a small a pitch and putt par three course, maybe. 60 to 100 yard max holes and that's what rejuvenated both of our addictions to the sport so we started you know uh, trying to uh, 
beat each other on this course and our roommates we all got into golf again um you know so there's uh, i think par three golf it's actually it's, it's a lot of fun you know it's a quick fix so how you know did you uh you know you started the business that was struggling as you said and the course was neglected so run us through your uh your your tenure there so when you from when you started to when you sold the business off and uh, how you went about uh, marketing and you know uh, just some of the stuff that you know, that people don't typically think about when uh, you know they, they uh, are coming to a golf course like you know maybe run us through your your, your plan there sure um, it was a real gamble I mean I stepped in there and probably underestimated the project that I had ahead of me mm-hmm. um, so the first summer when we signed the lease, we just focused on the mini golf course, renovating that, check it off the list. But then immediately that fall, I started to shift gears into getting the par three back to the point where it was just playable. Um, when I got there, the grass was up to my knees, um, mostly probably more weeds than grass, really just a disaster, you know, broken bottles, all the stuff that people do when a property is just left to itself. So first year was just getting it mowed. Yeah. Um, as we got into that next spring, we basically killed all the grass where the greens would be and started over. So we replanted um, bent grass, so Pencross bent grass. And even, you know, that sounds like the great first step, but if you don't have the equipment to take care of that grass mm-hmm. properly, and you don't have the knowledge of chemical applications, like it's not just as simple as planting grass. So we had to figure out the equipment situation and it really, if I give you kind of the fast forward version of this, it took three years for me to figure out how to create greens that were true to putt. So every year was a baby step forward, but year three is really when I turned the corner And from that point forward, we just grew year after year after year. And it was all par three rounds. Like mini golf was pretty predictable, like the number of rounds that you'd see. And once school was in session, that really slowed down. But the par three brings in all all sorts of people. It brings in high schoolers. It brings in people who are retired. It brings in people who are looking to just compete after work. And so that was really our bread and butter, just all sorts of people that appreciated the lower cost and the shorter time of play, but still wanted to go out and play some golf. Oh, that's amazing. That's an amazing story. You know, I as well grew up when I was much younger playing a place called UFO and Cotelias Golf. And I was nine, 10 years old when I used to go out to these little golf courses out in Montreal, Canada. And uh, that was my introduction to the game. So it's a great introduction kind of uh, place. I'm fascinated the fact that you, you figured it out all on your own. I guess you didn't look into talking to a superintendent to help you with, you know, triple cutting and rolling and all of that. Was that a process where you got someone who was an expert maybe in the field to help you out a little bit? So I, I did landscaping in high school and through college. So I felt like, Hey, I could, I could figure this out. I mean, this, right. this can't be rocket science, <laughs> but um, I was very fortunate. Um, there's a nice resort course about 45 minutes from where this course was located. And their superintendent literally lived five minutes away from the par three. Great. So when he got wind of what I was doing, he stopped over and he really, he pushed me in the right direction. So between him 
And also um, the company that I bought my chemicals from, those two people really gave me the kickstart that I needed to figure things out. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it, it's kind of like you created your your uh, dream job because, you know, everyone thinks that oh, it'll be fun to open up a bar and a beach or, you know, as golfers, like uh, having our own course. And then here you, you've just gone and done it. And Raph and I have talked about this, uh, you know, 20 years ago, how fun it would be to create like the ultimate practice practice facility or something like what you have. So um, good on you for taking the plunge. It's a real uh, entrepreneurial spirit and, and to go ahead and um, pick up, a, especially taking a location that's, that's basically failed and then bringing it back to life. So uh, that's um, something to be proud of. I appreciate that. Well, was it a year-round facility? Because that's in Virginia. I'm thinking that the weather is pretty good. I mean, uh, your summers are might be a little warm uh, or a little humid, right? So I guess uh, peak season would be somewhere between uh, August to March. Yeah, so I would basically stop attending the clubhouse Thanksgiving-ish, so like late November. And then I would be over there every day, late February, early March. Um, you guys are up north, so you're a little tougher than some of the people down here. But <laughs> once the temperature drops below 45, you really only get people who are pretty serious about their golf game coming yeah. out to play. Yeah, I understand. Well, look, well, I mean, that's really an amazing story. We're going to circle back to that as well as your 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 website and uh, website and your podcast and the things that you're doing in the future. Well, let's uh, tackle a few things today with uh, the Saudi Golf League. Where do I begin? Phil Mickelson with his comments. You know, he, he gave a pretty harsh quote back in November to a guy named Alan Shipness. Yeah, maybe just start that question from the uh, from the top there. Okay. You're the going live, everybody. Yeah, we are going live. We might be uh, lagging or having a problem here with our audio for the first time. Do you hear me now? Yes, perfectly right now. Okay, perfect. Just start so, from the top of that segment. All right, well... We wanted to, you know, switch gears and talk a little bit about the world of golf and what's happening with Phil Mickelson, uh, about the Saudi Golf League, the Super League that everybody's been talking about. It was a pretty harsh quote that came out to Alan, out of Alan Shipnuck. And, um, you know, I just wanted to say, if, if anybody hasn't heard the quote, maybe I'll start with that. You know, uh, Phil talked about, the Saudis are being scary mother effers to get involved with. We know they killed Khashoggi and have a horrible record on human rights. They execute people over there for being gay. Knowing all of this, why would I ever consider it? Because this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to reshape how the PGA Tour operates. Obviously, Jamal Khashoggi uh, was with the Washington Post and uh, was a U.S. resident, and it was a, it was a big deal. Um, you know, Phil's been known to talk about, you know, the obvious greed with uh, Jay Monahan or the media rights or the 46-inch driver. So he's always been outspoken, but, he, you know, he's done so much for the game. The reason why I'm just circling back and talking about Phil in, in a better light is because I think he's made a huge mistake. He has said these things. However... Uh, I think he'll come forward and apologize. He has in the past for things that he said. And it, it's just hard for everybody to throw him under the bus this way. Legacy media media in golf 
especially, um, has a huge influence on how the public feels about a certain person. He, he, he's, he is human after all, and I really feel he's made a mistake and he will be stepping forward soon. Now, am I jumping the gun? Is he <laughs> maybe not going to come forward and talk about it? I don't know, but, but I'll tell you this much. Alan Chipnuck, we reached out to him. Uh, we wanted to have him on the show, possibly even today, along with us. Um, but he, he, I haven't heard back from him. He's got a forthcoming book coming out called The Unauthorized Golf's Most Colorful Superstar, Phil Nicholson. Uh, why did he wait so long to come out with these statements? Did Phil even know that he was going to go public with the things that he said? Did he say it in confidence? I know we've all made mistakes and said stupid things between friends or family members, not thinking it's going to go worldwide public, right? But, you know, that being said, um, you know, uh, specifically, Eamon Lynch of the Golf Channel wrote a Golf Week article, and I, I you know, I wrote something to the effect that he doesn't deserve all this backlash, you know, and it sounded more like a tabloid opinion piece along with some facts and, and quotes, but it was so rough, it was so harsh that it was hard for me to believe for somebody to go out on a limb that far before Phil Mickelson ever even said anything in return. We haven't even given him a chance to come back out. Now, I know he's had a reputation of being possibly a little bit arrogant. You know, as uh, Jaime Diaz pointed out on Golf Today, he was talking about how, you know, he pretty much is the smartest guy in the locker room most of the time, but he comes off a little bit arrogant. Um, I think he's going to bounce back with all of this. I think he could articulate really well, and he's very likable. I think he's done a lot for the sport. Now, I'm not siding with him. I'm just surprised on how quickly we are to judge somebody we've looked up to, right? You guys got my audio? Yeah, this is a big deal for me because I, I'm 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 pretty disgusted with some of the comments that that, are, that people have said. You know, Jaime Diaz is great. He also pointed out that uh, that he'll bounce back. He's he's likable. You know, he gave both sides to the story, which I like. So did Shane Bacon. You know, he talks about how he grew up lefty and how you know when he went to college and he followed Phil Mickelson's career and how he did so much. You know, Matt Adams, Gary Williams, Rex Hoggart. They really dug into everything really well and and provided news without giving too much of a of an opinion piece, right? Um, so that being said, I know I'm uh, long-winded here. I got a lot more to say about this. We don't usually haven't noticed. <laughs> you know, we usually don't cover such heavy topics and go into it, but I really felt like I needed to say something. Guys, do you any thoughts on the Saudi Golf League or Phil Mickelson? Go ahead, Josh. You know, um, there's a lot to unpack. And obviously, this has been a hot topic um, for a while now. Phil is a smart guy. He's also a bit of a wild card. And, you know, I appreciate wild cards, especially in golf. Golf is um, sometimes the personalities can be more predictable than other sports. Obviously, he said some things that... Um, caught a lot of a people's attention and we'll see what what comes of it we'll see if there's an apology i think though that the thing is we're living in this era where there always has to be a reaction 
And that reaction always has to be a dramatic one. So people see something that's, you know, generating movement and it's an opportunity for them to get some attention or to capitalize on some traffic. And so you get all these people that the blood is in the water and they move quickly. So I think in this case, Phil actually, you know, his personality got the best of him and no one has cut him any breaks. Yeah, no, Phil um, has routinely stuck his foot in his mouth one way or the other and uh, always seems to get past the situation relatively unscathed. And this is no different. And, and let's unpack it even further. I always love that term. Um, but Alan Shipnuck has got a book coming out. Yeah. takes advantage of a hot topic, you know, throws mm -hmm. a little more blood into the water. And, uh, and, and it's got everyone stirring up and, and it's obviously um, trying to get a buzz going uh, to drive book sales, in my opinion, when you look at that. And uh, the SGL is uh, a hot button topic uh, already, aside from Phil Nicholson, uh, just because they are trying to compete uh, with PJ Tour and pull a lot of the marquee players, whether they will or not, you know, is a whole uh, another tangent you know I, I don't believe they'll pull um, pull the main players but they they might start to pull some of the older guys in their 40s you know who just want to put another pile of millions in, into their bank account uh, in their twilight years so uh, and some lesser known players there's a lot of good golfers out there they they could just start their tour and then build it organically and um but I think this is there's a lot to come uh, with the uh, controversy and uh, and Phil. I think he's apologized in the past. You know he's had all, all kinds of controversies from insider trading uh, uh, to uh, gambling. You know him and Mike Weir got caught betting for 500 bucks in the course in in uh, the early 2000s. And uh, you know there's there's always something. So. So, uh, so we it'll give us something to talk about next week. And so let, let's see how this unfolds because, uh, you know, uh, Raf um, has got some strong opinions on it, justifiably. And uh, um, and then why don't you dive into your your Twitter, um, you know, conversations, Raf, and you, you were you're going on with Iman Lynch and cut yourself in a bit of well, time, didn't you? Well, well, you know, I got to my uh, Twitter account uh, banned from uh, reading Eamon Lynch's uh, posts. However, you know, that being said, I had a lot of support through independent media and uh, some legacy media people. I'm not going to mention anyone, obviously, because, you know, th to stir up the pot is not worth it. But let's look at people who did come out. You know, Dustin Johnson made it clear that he he's going to play on the PGA Tour. And most guys do want to play on the PGA Tour. You got Bryson DeChambeau kind of left the door open. That quote was brilliant, right? I don't know if any of you have seen it, but he yeah. talks about the fact that he'll play only where all the best players play, wherever they are. So he, he's basically saying, I'm just open to playing wherever I want to play because I'm Bryson DeChambeau. But he seems to be siding with the PGA Tour. He's I think he's a little bit more focused on getting healthier with his back and, and his wrist issues that he's had over time. Rory McIlroy was surprising. You know, Rory McIlroy talked about the fact that, you know, he didn't want to kick a guy while he was down. But I'll say this. He says he's naive, selfish, egotistical, and ignorant. Oh, yeah. I'm not going to kick the guy while he's down, but I'll say all these things. I'm just going to spit on him instead. Yeah, I'm just, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Meanwhile, you know, luckily he's not... Being, going to be on the American Ryder Cup team because I think Phil's up for being next Ryder Cup captain, and this is all going to blow over. 
you know, Phil is too smart. He articulates too well. He's uh, he's he's just going to move forward unless I'm completely off, and I I don't think I am. I don't think I am. I think this is a huge deal. You know, he's made the tour look pretty bad. Billy Horschel went on uh, Matt Adams' show on uh, Fairways of Life and and said some really great stuff. You know, we talked about Phil kind of um, leaning on the fact that he wasn't happy with what Phil said either, um, but. You know, rightfully so. You know, a lot of people say stupid stuff. You know, Peter Costas, I look up to him. He made a comment this weekend about Tiger Woods, right? What's the difference between Fuzzy Zeller talking about chicken and, and uh, uh, you know, his old comment that he made in 19, was it 97, Mike? Yeah, that's right. Uh, about, you know, collard greens and chicken. That's what we're going to eat next year. And then he compares it to what's the difference between that and Tiger talking about Hideki Matsuyami, Matsuyama and, and us eating sushi next year. Totally different context, way off, you know. So Costas is just is not, not, not covering that really well. Um, no, but we're in that age of engagement and clickbait, and that, you know, comment from Costas uh, is probably driving, trying to drive attention. And I heard Tiger uh, reference that, and I didn't think there was anything... No. Uh, disparaging. Fuzzy Zeller's comment well, comes at the beginning of uh, sort of the, the, the wave of the cancel culture times and it was definitely across the line. Like, it was across was the a, line. That was uh, you, know, um, you know poor locker room taste that, that was not meant to be said to a reporter and uh, it, it was a huge controversy in, in those days. So uh, Well he turned back and said you know if he keeps on playing the way he's playing I think the quote was I'm, I'm, I'm paraphrasing but he said uh, I guess we'll be eating uh, fried chicken next year. And then as he walks away, he looked back and fried green, uh, what do you say, um, collard greens. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it's just. And, and whatever else those people eat. And so whatever you know, else they know. eat. That was it, it the quote. That's so, was, so wrong. It was one of those yeah. comments that every every word that kept coming out of his mouth was like, oh, don't. Yeah. yeah it just what? keeps getting worse. Yeah. 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 And why would Peter so, Costas bring that up, right? He just, like, Fuzzy's probably saying, man, why did you, that was 25 years ago. You know? Uh, yeah. So that, that being said, you know, all I can say is that people have a choice to do things in their lives. And if you're a professional golfer and you're playing at that level and you have an opportunity, now there's many different reasons why people might want to play different leagues. That being, you know, uh, possibly Saudi or going to the United Arab Emirates to play different games or playing in the Middle East. You know, golfers may not have the opportunity to make money the way NFL players, NHL players, NBA players make. And so they, they want to go out and secure some kind of financial, you know, uh, uh, situation in their lives because they don't know if they're going to play. What if injury comes into play? What if they don't get their card or make it, you know, so there's different reasons. And I could understand the, the political situation with Saudi Arabia and, and what's happened. But, you know, uh, that being said, guys, let's go on to something lighter. We talked about Tiger Woods. Congratulations to... Mr. Johan Neiman, Neiman winning the Genesis in, in an amazing fashion. Morikawa, unfortunately, didn't make that putt inside of 10 feet to possibly kind of put a little bit more pressure and uh, have a one-shot deficit. Have you guys, did you guys have a chance to watch a little bit of that? 
Yeah, definitely caught uh, a lot of it on Sunday and intermittent spots of it through the week. But uh, Joaquin Neiman went uh, wire to wire, and he, he was due to win again. He's a solid player, so it was great to see him. And, and um, Morikawa made a great run at it, uh, and, and it was a solid leaderboard. So Riviera once again delivered. Uh, number 10, it's a, a fun hole to watch. And, what we see on TV doesn't really give it justice. You know, we know the bunkers are deeper, the green is tiny, um, and, and that golf club. You know, even for uh, a spectator to go to a PGA Tour event, the you get your ticket, you go inside to one of the most exclusive golf clubs in the United States uh, to see some of the top players. And and, and how many they had? Ten of the top twenty-five. Uh, they had. Uh, yeah, they had all ten of the top. Yeah, they yeah. had the top ten, top 10. World, world yeah. golf ranking players. And that's pretty incredible. Yeah. The golf course itself is probably one of the most difficult courses outside of the major championships. I listed there in the top five. Um, yeah. And great to see Tiger Woods, guys. Your thoughts on Tiger? I mean, uh, <laughs> he looks great. I think he looks like he's fit. He looks like he's in a good place. He's happy. I've seen social media comparables. Where he's, they got him sitting in the exact same spot, and where like he, it looks like a mugshot compared to you know his big smile and how he was talking to Jim Nance, who was kind of like prodding Tiger several times to get him to announce where he's going to start playing. But it looks like you know walking's a big issue, right? Uh, walking's still a big issue. Um, uh, that sounds like it's the biggest issue. Yeah. Maybe. Like he's, he's hitting balls, he's playing golf, he referenced uh, using the cart at, at, uh, at his home club. Uh, but walking these golf courses, uh, even though he's not carrying the bag, but that, that's, that's part of the endurance of uh, four rounds of golf plus the practice round. So we'll see. Sooner the better for all of us. So, you know, we all want him out there, but um, you know, only he's going to know that. So, Josh. So you guys... Go ahead. So you're both you're both in your forties, right? Yep. Yes. Forty seven. All right. So so I'm in my late thirties. And um, you know, I already have some back stuff and some neck stuff where, you know, you just some days or some weeks you're kind of in a funk and it's harder to do the things that you want to do. I think about all the thing all the things that Tiger's body has been through. And it's really even amazing that the conversation's still going on. But I think he does. He just carries that weight with him, and the talent is—it's there. I mean, Michael Jordan can still shoot at basketball. He can't compete with guys that are in their twenties. But I think with Tiger, he moves the needle. He knows he moves the needle, and we all just kind of—we're playing on his timeline, which is—it's both kind of fun to speculate, but it's also interesting to see when is he going to make his move? When is he going to feel ready to jump back in and go for it? Yeah, and hopefully it's sooner. I mean, and we look at the injuries Tigers had in the training. He, he, if you go back into the '90s and early 2000s, this guy was doing Navy SEAL exercises, like running and insane distances, and obviously put a lot of wear and tear on that body. And and yeah. throw in the you know the surgeries, and, and I believe he just had surgery shortly before the car accident, which. Um, you know, he could have yeah. lost his leg in the bare minimum like this. He's got past that accident. Uh, he's very lucky, as much as we'd all like him to have avoided that. But uh, we're lucky to see him here and even to be talking about his return. 
so um, you know, uh, and, and Raph, what do you think about that? Uh, you know, we <laughs> talked about uh, Masters or the the Open would be a nice flat golf course. Jim Nance, I believe, referenced that. So. Uh, well, Josh and Mike, I love all your comments. I, I think that you know this is going to make a compelling Netflix series at the end of the season when they actually do that uh, documentary. All of this, along with Phil Mickelson and Tiger coming back, I think there's a great storyline there. But to go back to your question about when he's going to come back, I think he's going to come back for the Masters. I, th I, I saw him running down the stairs at the Genesis. Those would look like pretty steep stairs. I think, I th you know what, I think he's playing it up a little bit. I think he needs to get back into shape and maybe walking a course like Riviera. The Masters is a lot diff more difficult, but certainly for the 150th anniversary of St. Andrews, that being a flatter course, shorter course, him knowing it, He's still got a legacy he wants to leave behind. He's hitting it well. I think he's going to be able to do it. The problem is he needs to walk five, six rounds in a week, prepare himself. So the you know whether or not he's going to go to the Scottish Open, uh, that's the week before. And that being a co-sanctioned event with the European DP Tour, uh, that's a possibility. But I think definitely, I, yeah, I, I'm thinking he's going to show up to all of the majors. That's what he's going to do. And then he's going to go play the PNC in December with his with his son. Now, worst case scenario, might play the par three with his son at the Masters uh, if he's not feeling up to it. But definitely 100%, if all goes well, if he does if something else doesn't, you know, because it's not just his leg, right? It's his back and it's his ankle. Six surgeries, right? Uh, running from his ankle all the way up his leg on one side, both sides, actually. And... Um, when you have that type of operation, the, the your legs and your feet they, they correlate with your back problems. So he's already got he's got fused vertebrae, uh, mm -hmm. and then you you know have a major disruption to the foundation of his body and biomechanics. So now uh, who who knows this could open up Pandora's box? I, we hope not because you know it would be great to see him. Uh, uh, compete, not just compete, but ha imagine him winning, right? And and I always like to think, you know, the beware the injured golfer. Uh, and even we, we've done it ourselves. You go out there, you may not be feeling all that good, and you just, you're swinging easier, and you end up carding a great round. And that happens time after time with these pros. Some Jose Maria Alathabal uh, winning, they, they had a flu and was told not to play, and goes out and wins. And, uh, you know, there's, there's tons of these stories out there. So I think if Tiger can go out there and walk, and uh, you know, even if he's feeling a little off, and maybe he just swings a bit lighter, a little more control, and who knows what can happen. Yeah, you know, uh, I'm, I'm thinking of uh, Bernard Longer winning over at the Chubb Classic uh, the, this weekend. 64 years old, he beats the old record of oldest golfer on the PG, on any PGA Tour to win. He beat himself because uh, <laughs> I think he was 64 years old in one month when he won last year and then this year he wins you know and and so you know he he hit 85 percent of the fairways guy's a yeah. machine you know we call him the terminator because of his voice yeah it was a good uh, round i had lots of fun i'm coming for you <laughs> but his last win he had back problems he almost withdrew on thursday he could barely walk and he ends up winning the tournament on sunday so, so yeah. that's uh you know to my point a moment ago he's chasing hale yeah. Irwin's record right of 40 i'm gonna say six tournaments i think he's at 43 or something he's, he's yeah he's two wins away yeah wow 
Yeah, so, get that. so that's why he, he did make that joke. He said, hello, and I'm coming for you. That's the last thing he said. <laughs> uh, uh, how about uh, Rob LeBritz, who we had on the show Rob. in December? He uh, got to 26th, you know, which is a, a decent start. You know, yeah. obviously we'd have liked to see him pull higher, but a lot of pressure to go out there on your first Champions Tour event. You got it. Is a carded pro, and it's three yeah. rounds, right? You don't have as much time to catch up. He was doing pretty well. I think at one point he was like four under, right? He was yeah. he was doing pretty good. He could have got a top twenty, but uh, fell back a little bit. But yeah. good on him. Two over, two over the first day, and then he, he finished uh, one under, I believe, to, to tie for twenty six and fair start. That's a little bit of money carries him on to the next event, and he's he's got uh, twenty six, twenty five more. So uh, let's see if he can do it. Yeah, ride the momentum. Absolutely. Josh, you got a podcast yourself. We talked about that before we went on today. Tell us about um, Getting Off Course. Is that the name of the podcast? Yeah, so when I was working um, in golf world every day, I met a lot of interesting people. And I think before I got into golf, I thought golf had a fairly limited audience. But what I've learned over time is that the golf world is actually pretty broad. There's a lot of characters that are connected to the game in different ways. So my goal with the podcast is to find these characters and zoom in on their area of expertise. So I've done some episodes that are, you know, right in the heart of golf world, uh, college golf coaches. But I've also interviewed people that love golf or just play golf casually and have an area of expertise that's not golf related. So the common thread with all of my guests is that they have some connection to the sport and then we hone in on their area of expertise. That's cool. That's cool. You know, it's a, it's a similar to some of the stuff that we do. We always want to have a nice golf thread through all our shows. So whoever our guest is, as long as there's a connection to golf, because everybody's got a great golf story golf is a, is a universal game it's growing so much especially at the pandemic and you know i haven't seen it grow so much since tiger came into the game funny enough that was our last time the whole the game exploded from 99 to 2002 um and now we've seen the same thing happen because of you know covid restrictions and mandates and mm-hmm. and um you know, there's a whole new growth to the game i've never seen i go out to the golf course now and i see a whole new generation of you know um, Zetters and uh, millennials out there that I've never seen, and it's 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 refreshing, to, to say the least. And I think you know the par three courses are a great example of it's a great place to start playing and learning about the game of golf. And for those of you who are listening or watching or just getting into the game, I mean, there's different types of golf courses. There's par three courses. There's corporate length courses that have threes and fours. Then there's you know public, uh, semi-private private and resort courses and all of them and, and different levels of of um of style and length and um and cost yeah. <laughs> so yeah, certainly there's a big accessibility di- too yeah yeah right because golf uh, has the stigma that it's taught too expensive and and some people uh you know don't give it a try because you know the cost of entry can be a lot but really if you do some homework, there's there's uh, there's golf courses for all budgets, and say a fifty dollar green fee, you're gonna pay, you know, to spend four and a half hours out on the golf course at you know ten twelve bucks an hour, uh, and you know it, it's actually good value in a lot of ways. And equipment can be bought secondhand, 
there's there's ways to get into the game that aren't uh, uh, aren't totally cost prohibitive and, and all types of golf and including the par three experience with Josh you um, are, have now built a pretty uh, deep uh, database uh, around the world uh, of, of par three courses uh, your website's called par three near me and yeah. uh, you know, why don't you tell us a little bit about that and uh, and how people can uh, can utilize that to, to find somewhere to play. Yeah, so when um, when I was starting at my par three course, one of the challenges I ran into is how do I help people find this course? There are a lot of resources for your um, fancier courses or your championship length courses, but there wasn't a lot out there for the par threes or the corporate or executive golf courses. So my genius idea, of course, was, well, I'll just build a directory. Like I'll build a directory for starting with the United States and then I'll go worldwide. Um, what I underestimated was how many of these courses actually exist. I mean, there's a lot of them. And you go from a par three course that's really a pitch and putt, with very short distances where in some places you just, you pay $5 to play up to courses that are the full blown experience, like the Tiger Woods Pebble Beach par three, where I don't know what a round is, but it's maybe $75 or something yeah. like that. So this site is designed, there's a geolocation feature. You sign on, you click the little geolocation bu button, you hit search. And if there's a par three course in your area that I've added, it'll find it. Um, still work to do, I'm still working through uh, your your home country of Canada, but I'm getting there. And uh, the database keeps growing every week. Yeah, we've got a lot of courses out here. Uh, Mike and I used to go play at, in Vancouver at a place called Stanley Park. Right, Mike? We yeah. still do I whenever bet. I'm in town. That's an, you know, an epic course, Re really epic in the sense that it's nestled in a forest that's you know, a few hundred years old. It's, it's beautiful. And um, yeah. then there's uh, Queenie Park, right, Mike? And uh, there's a lot of full-length golf courses that have par three courses within them, right? Yeah. So there's that. I think that's that's the perfect system when you have a full-length course with a par three course embedded there, because then it's a feeder course for your yeah. new players. Like you get started there, or it's even a warm-up course for guys who are pretty good, and they can jump over onto the full-length course after they yeah. they're warmed up. I definitely like a, a good quality par three course. Uh, there's one uh, Country Meadows not too far from us here. I don't know if you have that in the database yet, but uh, I believe in the summertime, I do. their greens are pretty good and, and you're, you're hitting an iron uh, off the tee. So I find it's, uh, it's a good test for your short game and something yeah. different, a little bit uh, less punishing than the championship length course. And, and we all want to shoot our record scores out there, but you go out and uh, test out different components of your game and, and then you can bring some golfers who may not be as skilled and they can go and have fun and not, not be as intimidated to, you know, uh, you know, teeing it up on a 450 yard par four or, or whatever. <laughs> right. so, yeah, well, Mike, you hit the nail right on, right on the head, right? With that, it's, it's time consuming. You're playing golf, you know, you gotta be out there, you know, four to five hours. If you're a weekend warrior and the place is popular, you're looking at five plus hours on the weekend. It's, it's, it's very time consuming. So going out there for an hour and a half to two and a half hours on a par three course is amazing. And you get to sharpen up your short game. I mean, sometimes we used to go out there just with a wedge and a putter, no bag, 
three balls in your pocket, some tees, that's all you really need. You know, I always, I was always a big believer on if you lose those three balls, then you shouldn't be out there. But uh, if you're, you know, if you got a bag, if you got a bag, you could have lots of golf balls. We've had lots of friends, Mike, right? Uh, who've lost all their golf balls who were, uh, were just feeding them balls <laughs> over time. <laughs> but uh, it's it's a great way to be social and have fun. And, you know, I find it really interesting if they had tournament golf that way. It's the only time, well, in today's day and age, where we could just kind of cross over with a senior playing with a junior. You could play the same tees. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't matter if you're, you know, male, female, old or young i mean it's a great way to play the game and even if you're on a longer golf course i've always suggested this because i've been teaching for 20 plus years as well and you know go out on the front tees the red tees are not just junior and women's tees and beginners tees but they're you know they're tees where it's a whole different game um it's fun to play you're going to use different clubs you know, most members get this at some point if you're a member at a club because you'll end up playing all the different tees with different types of members and you realize, hey, this is a lot more fun. Whole different perspective on a golf course. You know, back tees, you're playing 7,000 yards. Oh, you have front tees, I'm playing, playing 6,200 yards. I mean, it's a huge difference. Yeah. Our home course, Mayfair Lakes, uh, reversed the color order. So typically the blues uh, were the back tees, whites were the forward, uh, and then they had yellows and reds. And there was a green that was juniors. But uh, So what they did, they flipped it. So now the red are the tips, and yellows uh, one forward, uh, and then um, whites would be what were previously the women's tees, and, and uh, yellow uh, are forward. So, it, it, or sorry, blue is all the way forward. So what that does, at first I'm like, what did they do here? This is annoying. Uh, but watching the results of this has been really interesting because you see a group of four guys, you know, all like, you know, 20s, 30s, uh, you know, decent shape, who are terrible golfers. And mm-hmm. they go up to the white tees, which is probably paying, playing 5,500 yards. So for one, it keeps them moving at a good pace. Two, they probably have more enjoyability because we have water hazards on 13 of 18 holes. So they, this place will eat your lunch some days, especially in the wind howls through it. We're pretty close to the ocean. So uh, uh, if it's a windy day, you know, uh, look out. Uh, the course has a lot of teeth. So I, I think it, it's serving its purpose. So, um, you know, people are unknowingly going up to a shorter uh, tee box because they're used to playing the white. So they just walk up there and they... they they jump on it so so i'm a big fan of it and we have uh, there's been a lot of literature in the last 10 years about moving forward and, and um you know no matter what your skill level is just don't let the ego dictate where you play because it's not just yourself you affect the whole field so if you're playing on the tips when you are a 20 handicap you're, you're just pissing off uh, everyone behind you uh, and you're right. having no fun, and you're probably not going to want to come back and play again because the course is going to kick your ass. Uh, so, uh, yeah, it, it's play to the right tee box based on your handicap. And if, if you're five or better, sure, go back to the tips. You know, and, uh, but if it really, even if you're a long hitter, you're better off to go and, and play at the right decks. Yeah, I don't know, too, if you've seen um, even the trend with some of the newer par three courses that have been built. Um, Andy Staples courts down at uh, PGA National where they don't even have defined tee areas. 
So whoever wins the last hole can pick to tee off from sort of wherever. Interesting. And that's taken it even a step further. Like, you know. Yeah. Speaking but yeah, of- I like the idea of the stigma being removed from certain tees or certain colored tees. A lot of supers have done that at their golf course. They just remove all the tee boxes, all the markers, and they left. They put all the tee markers on the same tee, right? Just so people don't go out and play. So, so you see all the colors lined up on one tee box, and I, I like that because then you kind of feel like you're forced to go there. You'll have people who who still want to go back there. You know, I, sure. I've worked at golf courses, you know, for, for so many years. So, and people always, you know, the strange thing is people walk in, they say, what's the course record? Uh, how far is it from the back tees? And you're looking at the guys and they look like weekend warriors. They're not, like, why, why are you asking these questions? But to your point, Josh, uh, the PGA National, that's over at, you're talking about the one over at Palm Beach in Florida? Yeah. yeah. That's where yeah. the Honda Classic is happening uh, this week. You know, it's, it's funny you bring that up. That course is fantastic. We'll see how it goes. There's a mandatory player meeting this week. And they're going to be covering a lot of these topics, uh, one being the uh, Saudi Golf League and probably a number of other things with um, players' Charlie rights. Charlie Hoffman's going to be part of this conversation. Oh, yes. Charlie <laughs> Hoffman. Well, I'll, I'll, we talked about that last week. I guess we're not going to dive into that any deeper. Um, but, you know, uh, the Honda, then we got Sawgrass. You know, the game couldn't be in a better place you know we're looking at 20 million dollar purse for the, to, for them to play the players this year over uh, near jacksonville and um so, some pretty good results this weekend um did you catch any of uh, colin morikawa cameron young is a guy who kind of caught my eye for the very first time in a way he never has before such a power move through the sw- through the swing at impact Blows my mind. Uh, such a great player. Victor Hovland, yeah, Adam yeah. Scott, Justin Thomas playing well. Yeah, Cameron Young had a couple of mishaps in the bunker, and uh, where, you know, had he made bogey or even pard um, uh, on the third round, um, he, he could have been right there. You know, with all those mistakes, uh, he, he was just a couple shots off. So uh, I think uh, we'll see more from him in time. Wasn't it great to see uh, Neiman come off the green and Sergio Garcia waiting for him along with all the, all his uh, fellow South American, you know, uh, compatriots, yeah. you know, and then having that crowd there, it really made him feel a lot, lot, a lot better. I forgot about his Greensboro win for a minute there. I thought it was his first win, but then I was reminded that he, you know, he's a two-time winner. He, he's yeah. won before and uh, he's got that dip and that move through the impact position. You know, I... It hurts my back just looking at it. Um, but he's always had a super low ball flight, right? On the 18th hole, he, he hit this worm burner about 60, I don't know, was it 20 feet off the ground, you know, about 300 plus yards. And that was his regular ball flight. And you, you can't play the PGA Tour on these fast greens and hold a lot of these greens. For example, the Masters with a low ball flight. So he's made an adjustment by dipping down and having that bent position at impact. He's really wiry and quick through the golf swing, and I think he's he's found something special. If it works for him, I mean, there's a lot of special swings out there with uh, with Wolf and and other people who've got like moves that we're not used to. Jim Furyk oh. back in the day, and so many people have a unique move at the top of their swing. Um, something that surprises me is Jordan Spieth. He's he, he's got that takeaway, and now he's got this pre-shot routine where he looks like he's going to come 
over the top. It looks really scary. It looks, it, it's, do you know what I'm talking about, guys? Position. Yeah, in his finishing position, he's rolled over on his heel, and it looks like it hurts. Uh, but, it, I mean, it's very you know, strange. He, he's, uh, he's a little wild off the tee, as we all know, but yeah, I think uh, any, any other golfer can relate to that, but he has got a great uh, short game, and, and he can putt. You know, uh, he, when he's hot with that putter, he, he makes 25-footers regularly. Yeah. Uh, sometimes longer, which seems like he's got uh, a deal with a devil or something like that to be able to pull this off uh, so regularly. But um, he is he is wild off the tee, and I think that's what I appreciate about him because he gets himself some positions, and then he he's got a, a knack to recover. Uh, so and he's, he's not the longest hitter. He, obviously, he's long enough to you know um, be uh, you know uh, be aggressive and, and and have a go at par fives and whatnot, but. Uh, He's definitely not leading the length by any means, but uh, um, there's a, it's very interesting to watch. So yeah, keep it up, Jordan. Yeah, uh, give should. us a few more cliffhangers. Too. <laughs> that was fun. Yeah, it's it's nice to see you know the better fields now with the, all the cream rising to the top. You know, you got McElroy, you know, and there's a lot of first-time winners this year. You know, Scheffler getting a, a I think a, a seventh place. This week, it's nice to see him play well. But any one of these guys, whether they make the cut or not, have the ability to turn it on and possibly win. And that's why all these stats don't mean very much because we're looking at the top 1% of 1% in the world playing this game. It's fascinating to watch. It's, it's so much fun. The game's expanding so much on how it's covered. You know, I love all this new drone footage that they're, they're showing. I know, Mike, you're in the drone business as well with ECS and... And that's really, it's really incredible. Um, guys, any thoughts about the tour this week uh, uh, happening over at Honda or Sawgrass? Can I back up real quick on you? You got it. So I think Neiman, 23 years old, you, you come out hot, right? Pretty incredible that at some point he didn't fold, that he was just able to hold on the whole time and so, you know, of course, I'm paying attention to Morikawa, and there's other people. I like Max Homa. But I think at 23, yeah. I mean, this is someone who has now commanded our attention. We'll see where it goes from here. Right. Let's, let's not forget, yes, he's 23 years old, but he's been on tour for five years. Yeah. Five years. Yeah. And, and so, I mean, two wins, great. You know, it just feels like he's been out there for a while, and so people are critical. But you're, to your point... He is 23 years old. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and I mean, we're just seeing it. I mean, you think about, I know when I was 23, uh, you know, I was, uh, you know, still trying to figure things out, but, uh, you know, he's got five years under his belt, two wins. He's just getting started. He's, yeah. um, you know, extremely flexible and fit. And, and uh, he's got 10 years, uh, unless some unforeseen injuries uh, happen, but I think he can maintain this for, for the next decade. And uh, who knows how many wins he can stack up. But it, at some point, his body will start to get a little tighter and age creeps in. You know, each decade, things get a little stiffer and harder to move. So, But uh, if, if he can ride this confidence and, uh, into the majors, and who knows uh, what we're going to see out of him. It's a, it's a, it's a good-looking swing. And uh, it's, he's got his uniqueness about it. But uh, I, I think we're going to see a lot more from him. 
Yes, we are. I'm going to bring this up. Uh, I'd like uh, for all our listeners and viewers, our whole audience, to know that we don't have any financial sponsorship for this show. And that if you like the content and you like our guests and you like what we are talking about, want to hear us continue doing this, this is show number 21. Uh, please go to our Patreon uh, link. It's on YouTube. And you could support us. You'll get a hoodie, maybe a cap, a sticker. We got a mug that we give away. Uh, you could do monthly sponsorship as low as $1.50 a month, um, all the way up to you know coming on to the show. Or being a sponsor so uh, please take a look at that uh, if you like the content we're reaching out to you because I think after 21 shows it's, uh, it's time for us to mention that we do not get paid for doing this we're on 16 different platforms right now and we love to talk golf we're passionate about it we're gonna cover as much as we can with the, the amount of knowledge that we have between Mike and I we've got you know combined 50 plus odd years in the golf industry and around golf so it's not like we're not uh, uh, guys who don't know what we're talking about we've been following and uh, I did uh, golf radio back in the mid 2000s on CJD 800 radio I've covered several Canadian opens as well as a president's cup walked inside the ropes worked at uh, public semi-private and and um, all different types of facilities academies over the years so please uh, take a look at what we have to offer and uh, don't be afraid to get in touch with us you know send us a message give us some support it's nice to hear from our audience it, it shows that we've got anywhere between you know 500 to 20,000 across all platforms on all our shows so the numbers are growing tremendously um, and uh, yeah thank you for watching we want to just acknowledge that you're watching and you're listening to us and we know you're out there Josh, where can we find you? Yeah, so my projects, um, par3nearme.com is my directory of short courses. And gettingoffcourse.com is my golf podcast. Uh, you guys are about uh, 11 episodes ahead of me, but you're doing great work. Um, <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, and I think it's pretty cool that you're taking the live show approach. I know that that comes with some different challenges that I don't have to worry about. So keep up the good work. Thank you. We talked about that uh, last week with Gary Williams, because uh, he and Trevor Immelman were talking about uh, how they love doing live. And, and uh, I, I think for us, uh, it, it adds that element of uh, there's a bit of nervousness. You got to be careful. There's no editing. Mm -hmm. um, and really, uh, it just, you know, it's, it's about a raw conversation and, uh, uh, so, so yeah, that's why we enjoy that. And so, and one thing what we really like to do uh, uh, before we end a uh, show, Josh, is uh, get a good story from you. And you know, for one, I'd like you to maybe tell us about those trophies behind you, if there's uh, anything there, and then give us your, you know, a couple embarrassing points that you've seen out in the golf course, or your, um, you know, give some for viewers to laugh because I know that's what they really enjoy. So the trophies I'll tackle first. Um, I love competition, the smallest, dumbest thing to the most serious thing. I love competing. Basketball is my favorite sport to play. Um, I played college baseball, so that was my best sport, but basketball is the sport I love. So a few years ago, you know, my window for uh, dominance is quickly fading here. I'm 38. 
I put together a team with a group of guys who were anywhere from 25 to 40. We put together this dream team and we won the championship for all the men's teams in our area. So big life achievement, check it off the list. Um, There was no $12 million purse or anything like that, but it was still very satisfying. As far as stories go, I have um, two stories for you. One would be about a par three golfer and the other one would be about about my experience on the course. So the first one, people walk into a par three course and for many people, it's the first time that they've played golf. So one summer we had this guy show up, this might've been um, maybe in June, he shows up for the first time, goes out on the course, but before he goes out there, he knows nothing. Like he's got the full bag, these old driver, his old driver, you know, this set of clubs from the seventies. So he's asking me questions. I kind of give him some tips. I let him know you're really only going to need three or four clubs in that bag, but have at it, go have fun. Well, this guy starts showing up religiously day after day after day. He's there. And you know, the course that I ran, even if you're not great, we're talking an hour and 15 minutes tops. You should be able to be on the course and off the course. This guy would come strolling in two and a half hours later. And you know, I know he's not, I haven't heard any complaints. So he's obviously not getting in people's way. Nothing out on the course is being broken or damaged. So whatever, like if he's practicing and he's getting hooked, I'm fine, you know, go do your thing. So this goes on for about three weeks and then he just disappears. It's like he's dropped off the face of the earth. He shows up again, maybe a month later. And what had happened all that time that he was out on the course Hole four was one of the longest holes on our course. And the, there was forest all along the left side of the hole in a pretty narrow shot. Well, this guy in hole four, he would lose all of his golf balls. And then he would go through the woods, just searching for his golf balls and other golf balls. Well, he got poison ivy from head to toe. I mean, he was walking around in this oh, stuff no. for weeks while he's sweating <laughs> in the summer. I think it like got into his throat and his lungs. Like it was for real. Wow. So God. yeah, he came back after like a hospital stay and some steroids that he had to take. But uh, so that was great. a great, yeah, great introduction to golf. So that's my first story for you. <laughs> That'll teach you. Yeah, exactly. The second one, um, you know, I was responsible for mowing and watering and all the fun stuff that comes with the golf course. And one of my least favorite tasks was actually limbing the pine trees. So we had pine trees that lined every fairway, which protected you from getting, you know, pegged by a golf ball from another fairway. So one day I'm out there limbing trees, one of my least favorite tasks, and I'm reaching up, I've got my loppers, I'm going to clip this branch and I see it this giant wasp's nest or hornet's nest. And by the time I saw it, like my hands are already clipping the loppers together. It's too late. I clipped the limb that this thing is on. And I mean, this, this nest had to be almost two feet tall, a foot wide. These wasps went ballistic. And I mean, I tried to, you know, I'm trying to limb around golfers playing. So when a hole's clear, I'm sneaking in there, trying to trim a few things and get out. These wasps come out, they're as angry as anything you've ever seen, and they attack. I mean, I get stung in the neck, 
I get stung between the fingers and I can't play it cool anymore. I'm, I mean, I'm full sprinting across the course with golfers, all of who know, like, <laughs> this is the guy who runs the place. So great memory there. Uh, yeah. The joys of running a course. Oh, yeah. I think we all have wasp stories in the, in the summers. I, I almost uh, got my legs crushed off a horse when I got bitten in the uh, going over a wasp nest in the, in the ground when I was a kid. But uh, that's not really funny. It's just that's a fact. No. Wow. I was in a tournament once uh, at the Pitt Meadows Golf Club, uh, the, the Golden Years uh, tournament, which has been running for about six decades. And come off the first hole, you're walking, it's a bit about you know, 200 yards to the next tee box, and you hear this buzzing sound, just this loud buzzing sound. And I look up, and, and the, the, the sky was all black, and you could hear the bees. There was tens and tens of thousands. I've never seen it like this. Like, all of us were like, holy shit, what do we do? You know, so we all like kind of stood under the trees and tried to stay out of the way. But turns out that you know, the queen was moving. So, uh, and, uh, so they all come together, and apparently it happens around that course once in a while. So some of the members had seen it before, but it was a bit unnerving, for sure. Yeah. As far as uh, funny golf stories, I'm going to mention uh, Kyle Porter from CBS. He uh, ended up sending me his book, Normal Sport. I just wanted to say a quick shout-out and thank you. Great illustrated book, uh, great stories from 2021. Hopefully, we'll be, be doing another one. And all the boys down at First Cut Podcast who do such a great job on providing news in a very different way. Rick Gaiman, Greg Duchar, Mark Immelman, Kyle Porter, uh, they're really doing a good job. So a big shout-out to them. Uh, a special thanks to Matt Adams and Gary Williams and Lemontese for sharing all their stories and everything they've done. Uh, and, and other people who inspire us, like Riggs and the boys at Subpar. I think golf is changing. I think it's being presented differently. We're seeing women's golf, champions golf, and all these different tours. I think it's fantastic. Um, any final thoughts, Mike? Josh, anything well, you want to maybe say and thank or any sponsors you want to thank as well, Josh? Adding to what you just said, there's a lot of great channels out on Instagram, uh, Twitter, like Club Pro Guy and Sire uh, um, Golf, and, and there's so many. There, there's hundreds of excellent channels that these people who aren't very well known, but they're putting together great content. Bob Does Sports in the Brilliantly Dumb Show. Uh, <laughs> he's made a name for himself. He goes out to tour events, and uh, people recognize him. He's him and his cast of characters, um, Joey Coldcuts. <laughs> Joey Coldcuts. Uh, no, these guys oh, yeah. are, are hilarious. So, yeah, they got to be thirty, maybe. I don't know how old they are, but they're it's it's a, it's a young the younger generation of uh, golf uh, and, and content that's out there. It's it's pretty fun to watch. So yeah, say a shout out to those guys. To keep it up, and and uh, over to you, Josh. Yeah, I think just to Ralph's comments, um, golf is changing, and I think it's changing for the better, and I think more people are engaging with the sport, and I'm kind of excited to see what the what lies ahead. Uh, I do want to thank you guys for having me on the show. It's a joy to be with you. Absolutely. I've listened to several of your episodes. Keep up the good work. Thank you. And then um, I'm hoping maybe a month or two here down the road to have both of you on my show. We can talk a little bit about some DJ stuff, because that's a world I don't know much about. Sure. And of course, some golf. Yeah, we'd love to. Um, let's uh, let's let's tee that up. You you give us some date options, and we'll uh, we'll make that happen. We'll do. All right. Well, listen. You've been listening to the Golf Podcast Live. Again, we're on about fifteen different platforms right now, whether it's audio or video. For Josh Waldron, 
Michael Bleakley, I'm Raphael Calmet. You've been listening to the Golf Podcast Live. A very special thank you to the Upper Hand Cards and Collectibles who have been with us from the beginning. Of course, ECS, Evolve Creative Solutions, Digital Marketing Needs. And uh, we'll see you next week. Um, and in two weeks' time, we've got a very special great guest. Uh, Craig Can will be on, former Golf Channel analyst and now public speaker. As well, he has his own podcast on Sirius Radio. Guys, we'll see you next week. Take care. Thanks again.